0: Welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast with Matthew Eels. Hey,
1: wait for me. Wait up. Hey, look at the moon. I oh, was no, well. I prayed to
0: go to the moon. I was more of a sun person myself. I was scared of the dark. I was a scaredy cat. I'm so sorry. You dropped us on the street. Oh my God. That's lucky. Have we met before? You look kind of familiar. Oh no, don't think so. Eva was the name of my sister. Hey, you could stay in that spare room if you wanted. What if I'm
1: just a mediocrity with nothing to say? She's kind of hard to get to know. Yeah, she's a fucking lunatic. Right. Sorry, like... lonely. I haven't seen Mia
0: in a few days. Do you know where she could be? It's... It's
1: trailer for Petrol. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. Eleanor Lodkina's Petrol will stick to you like glue if you dive deep enough into its subtexts and if your experience with this film is anything like mine it'll take weeks to shake. In this episode Eleanor joins us to take a very deep dive into the making of Petrol which follows Eva an impressionable film student who befriends an enigmatic performance artist named Mia, who quickly takes hold of Eva's imagination. Petrol is Eleanor's second film following her debut, Strange Colours. If you haven't already seen Strange Colours, I recommend putting it at the top of your must-watch list. This is quite a long interview. It goes for over an hour, so I won't take up too much time here. But if you want to find out where you can see the film... Head to PetrolFilm.com for details or keep an eye on CinemaAustralia.com.au for updates. And if you have seen it, then I really hope that you enjoy this discussion about the making of this incredible film. Anyway, enjoy. Alina, thank you for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. I'm excited to have you on.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm pleased to join you today.
1: Um, Congratulations on Petrol. Uh, I've been anticipating your next film ever since Strange Colours back in 2018. Uh, I remember watching that film very late at night. Uh, It may have even been early morning now that I'm thinking of it, but I was wide awake regardless. Um, The world was quiet and I was completely absorbed by that film and the same goes with Petrol here. Um, You do something with Petrol that not all filmmakers are brave enough to do uh, in that you give us, the audience, uh, the viewers, the permission to interpret your piece of art however we please. Um, as someone who is immersed in Australian sc- uh, screen culture, this film is a service to not only the art of filmmaking but art in general. So congratulations again.
0: Thank you very much. That's a very kind introduction. I'm I'm chuffed.
1: Do, do you think, uh, I, I, I'm always a bit nervous when I um, try to interpret people's uh, films and, and artwork Am I correct there in saying that uh, you have given us permission to interpret this piece of art however we please?
0: Absolutely, yeah. It is so much in the construction, in the making, and the tone of the film. It not only gives the permission, but really invites and kind of asks the the viewer to be active and creative, um, and yeah, to. In a way to create the film, alongside
1: the people who made it. Yes, yes. And uh, now that I'm thinking of, I think it was about halfway through the film that I, uh, that I had this realization that that's what you were trying to do here. Um, mm-hmm. for for about half of the film, I w- I think I was um thinking too hard about it. Um, mm-hmm. I was trying to interpret every little piece of symbolism and and trying to make sense of that. And then about halfway through, I thought, "Hang on, hold on a second, just just ease up, ease up." Mm-hmm. I think she's trying to tell you just to enjoy the film and, and interpret however you please.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I think that um, it's it's the film that um, I hope people can kind of just let wash over them, yes. and then as as the the screening ends and maybe days pass that it sort of simmers away in your mind afterwards and um you know creates new associations and images and not necessarily even rational ones you know it's just i think it's it, it the film should evoke a feeling and evoke maybe some experience that people might have might recognize in in some hidden corners of their uh, subconscious. Uh, but it's also, you know, I hope it's also a fun story as well. There is a kind of simple arc of, of a coming-of-age um, young person's journey and, uh, you know, a young person uh, discovering a new friend and a new world and um, it's also a portrait of Melbourne. Uh, it's a portrait of you know urban australia at a particular time so yeah there's various levels i think in which um i heard people can can connect but even in i even in the title you know the title is i often get asked about why it's called petrol and it's yeah. it's a very lateral lateral title um and the intention of is is that the audience goes into the film already being like ah it's called Petrol, but it, very quickly, you know, they realise it's not about that. It's about <laughs> these two young women and their friendship and they live in the city and it, it doesn't have anything to do with cars and yes. there's very few cars in the film. But I I, I I that felt to me quite appropriate because it's already kind of, even before the film starts, saying to people, this is a film where you uh, can interpret in. Things in various ways and make different connections between things and think laterally.
1: Yes, yeah. And you're right about it being an entertain, uh, entertaining piece as well uh, because it is. Um, we get to go on this journey with these two girls, which is it's quite fun. Um, and, yeah, you mentioned the title Petrol there, and, and I think I was thinking about that a little bit too hard as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Petrol can often be described as a, a shade of blue, and I noticed that your titles in the film were blue. And I thought, oh, my God, is that what she's trying to do here? But then that's when I thought, no, no, just calm down, relax. <laughs> there's not that much to it. No, um, there's not much to it. Yeah. Yes. Um, that
0: that kind of urban, you know, it's an urban film.
1: Yes. Um, I usually start these podcast interviews by going back to the early years of a filmmaker's career. But we did that in 2018 when I interviewed you for Strange Colours and we spoke about uh, you moving to Australia and, and things like that. So mm-hmm. um, so instead of going back to your early beginnings as a filmmaker, I want to go back to the moments after you released Strange Colours and leading up to Petrol. Um, uh, Strange Colours was successful on the festival circuit and it enjoyed a boutique cinema run. Did releasing your first feature film and, and sharing it with the world go as you expected it to go?
0: I can't. Uh, yeah, this is a tricky question because I can't say that I expected uh, very. I had expectations because, well, I'm sure that I did in the back of my mind. I, I'm sure everyone does, and everyone, you know, has hopes and dreams of, um, you know, their work being appreciated and seen and circulated. Um, so that that was probably my my biggest um hope. Mm. But I think you try not to build up the expectations because you just don't know how it will go and how people will respond to it so uh, i think that journey after strange colors was full of discovery and surprise and just seeing oh wow you know people's responses are so um interesting and wonderful one of the best parts about releasing that film and the most rewarding part i think was that i had you know it's 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 a slow paced um Kind of artistic festival film, there's obviously you know that's how it was written about and that's how it was released. But I think when the film was it, it traveled to uh regional, uh, like various regional festivals and film societies, and I, I got a chance to travel around Australia with it. Like, I went to far north Queensland for the Vision Splendid film festival which was wonderful I went to Mulaney film society that you know they they showed the film there and to Darwin and all these really interesting places and um and like I didn't get to go to Perth with strange colors but um I know that it played at Revelation film festival and a lot of people reached out with you know with their impressions and their thoughts and that was the most rewarding part but unexpected audiences and you know not necessary necessarily film Festival audiences um around Australia really responded to the film and understood it and um you know were were so had such intelligent and uh sensitive responses to it and um interesting stories to share and I I found that really eye-opening and touching and moving and encouraging uh, moving forward you know I think it encouraged me to really believe in audiences because I think that you know I hope it's not um too negative to say but you know I think that often there's this attitude of like oh people don't want to see these kinds of films they you know they, they they want to see Marvel movies or whatever and I really don't believe in that I think that you know People want to see all kinds of stuff and there's no need to be prescriptive or, or um condescending. And that's why I I try to create like work that I, you know, I like and I hope that other people will like it as well. And um to try and have an honest uh conversation with audiences. And I, I think I have been kind of encouraged in that from my experience with Strange Colours.
1: You could not be more right there. I truly believe that Australian audiences crave Australian films and, uh, you know, we want to see and hear our own stories on the big screen and uh, what you've just said then about the feedback. It proves that.
0: Absolutely, you know, and even even if the film is a bit slower and a little bit more contemplative than perhaps uh, what, you know, a lot of films that probably people are exposed to uh are it, yeah still people were so open and uh appreciative of the film in on on
1: different levels yes. and yeah that I I I, I love that yeah uh, do people still ask you about strange colors I mean I'm still telling people to watch it all these years later
0: yeah that people do um Actually, recently, um, was very chuffed. I hope it's okay to share it. I think yeah. it is. Uh, but I, um, a, a friend related to me an anecdote that they, uh, they met Bruce Beresford and completely randomly, Bruce Beresford brought up Strange Colors as like a film he'd seen and liked. And I, I, I that was amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell, tell us how that felt.
0: Oh, it was amazing. You yeah. know, Bruce Beresford, yeah. he's, you know, he's incredible. Yes. And I, I've been inspired now to go into his um early films that I haven't seen yet. um. So yeah, it's something that I'm, I'm really excited to
1: explore. Uh, so have you, have you started doing that, uh, exploring uh, Beresford's filmography? I've just,
0: I've just um kind of found, I saw that Breaker Morant is on Criterion, so I've kind of lined that up and, um i haven't seen it yet but yeah this i've just been a bit busy with the tour yeah. so yeah, something i'm going to delve into next but yeah uh, i've uh, seen the blues and that's you know wonderful
1: oh yes and uh, uh i was reading back on our uh, 2018 interview last night and we did speak about um uh, that you hadn't really seen a lot of Australian films, uh, uh, one prior to moving here and, and since you've been here. So I think uh, Beresford is a great, uh, it's a fantastic filmography to begin with.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I have, yeah, I have been kind of delving a little bit more into the Australian new wave films and um, discovering things that I, I love and, um, and, yeah, it's very, it's rewarding to see what the history of cinema is here.
1: Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't want to talk down to uh, to to Australian audiences, but I really do wish that we would be more open to uh, watching our own films in this country uh, because there's so much beauty out there.
0: Absolutely. And the same, you know, with literature and um, other forms of art and painting, uh I think yeah, I don't know what it is. There there is still that kind of awkwardness or I guess the 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 cringe, the Australian yes. cringe um <laughs> thing. It just continues, it carries on. So I think that you know, we're all kind of doing our little bit to um uh to re to re rewatch, reconsider, re um restart the conversations and continue. Them as well,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and you know, yeah, it's it's wonderful. Um, um, podcasts like this as well, yes, yeah, it's very important.
1: Um, was was there a particular thing that you kept t- telling yourself that you would like to do differently with whatever you were to make next uh, while you were releasing Strange Colors?
0: Well, the the main thing was you know very simple. Um, in Strange Colors was made under very particular circumstances because. Um, yeah, it was funded through the Venice Biennale College yes. and it came with um, a lot of uh, uh, kind of restrictions, practical restrictions, which were great, you know, l- I learned so much and it was a fantastic challenge. Uh, but I was really thrown into the deep end and but the, the, the thing that I found the hardest was, um, you know, the budgetary restrictions are fine. I think that's that's a great challenge for filmmakers and I would still be happy to make films on Tiny budgets—that's uh, not 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 something I had any um, uh, issues with. But the time restriction on Strange Colors was very—it was really tough emotionally and creatively, and you know had its advantages as well. But the film was made on like a really crazy timeline, and um, you know, in, like nine exactly? months. It was um, like we wrote the script in in one month in November 2016. And then the way that that program worked was they had, you know, a few weeks to pick the scripts they wanted to fund, like three out of 12, it was like three films got funded because it, it was a, develop, a script development program as well as a funding program. And so they made their decisions in December 2016 and the film had to be um, fin- like handed in for the film festival in August the next year. So it was, yeah, from December to August, like, you know, what is it, like eight months, nine months turnaround, and it was just insane, you know, that that was all like pre-production. kept rewriting the script, we shot and edited and did the post-production. It was just very tight, and yeah, the, the thing that I really... Um, desired with the next project was like I'm I'm gonna take my time. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna rush into the next film. Even though you know, I think it, it didn't take that long to to get petrol up, and considering um the pandemic and everything like that. Um, yeah. So I really want to give myself time, and that was the biggest difference, I would yes. say. Yeah. And then yeah, we, uh, you know, with petrol, it was funded by. Screen Australia, I film Vic, um sorry, Vic Screen. Uh they've just rebranded uh SBS on demand and MIF Premier Fund. Um so we had a budget mm. and we had a bigger crew, not too much bigger, but you know, double the size. It was almost exactly double the size of uh Strange Colors was we had 15 people on, on the crew and here we had 30. Um amazing so you know it's like we had more resources um and we had a little bit more we didn't end up actually having that much more time on set i think strange colors was 21 shooting days and petrol was 25 oh, wow. um but yeah we had more resources and um just a bit more stuff to play around with like I really loved working with costume designer on Petrol which I didn't have well I had a costume designer on um, Strange Colours but she Lucy was like um, a jack of all trades jewel of all trades you know she did hair and makeup and costumes and yeah we were very we had to be very resourceful on Strange Colours whether with Petrol Phoebe Taylor did the costumes and she was you know wonderful and had a costume department and I loved that. Yes, yes. Um, um, we also okay. had a few more resources to do like music and things like that, so it was just really fun to, um, yeah, to to kind of have a few more tools, cinematic yes. tools at your hands.
1: Um, I want to ask you a bit more about your your crew a bit later, but um, so how soon after Strange Colors did you start working on Petrol?
0: Almost the I had the idea for Petrol before even Strange Colors was written. Wow. Well. Uh, but it was a very loose, like, seed of an idea. Uh, and almost immediately after Strange Colors, I spent, like, a month alone in Italy and I started kind of writing things out and writing out scenes. But I didn't get very far. Uh, but, yeah, I kind of had this these certain characters in mind. I started developing ideas. But then it took, like, two years to feel ready to write a treatment I think like after several attempts just took me a while to figure out what the film actually was and then after that another year of writing the script like almost full-time because at that point we got development funding also after strange colors you know I went I, I had I got a job and I kind of was juggling a few things and so yeah it was finding the time as well
1: it's so interesting, and I'm sure a lot of uh, filmmaker listeners out there will have a little bit of a giggle to hear that, you know, someone who's made arguably one of the best Australian films in the last decade in Strange Colours had to go out and find a job after making that film.
0: Well, yeah, it's it is it's kind of funny, but it's not that funny. No, no, it's not no, no, funny. No, it is, it's, it's, it's certainly
1: not, it, not funny. No,
0: I mean, it is it is a bit funny, to be honest. Yeah. But I, I mean... I just didn't see a way like I didn't I don't have um, uh, a kind of career in um, commercials or anything like that on the side and I find um, you know uh, it's kind of hard to I guess it's hard to find your feet in those um, commercial spaces if you haven't kind of developed that way and uh, so I didn't yeah I just didn't have that many options and um, after Strange Calls I went Yeah, I was working at cafes again and um, there's like a funny story on ABC, I remember, because when Strange Colours was coming out at MIF, I worked at this cafe and, um, you know, the film was like reviewed in in a newspaper, like in The Age or whatever. And yeah. some customers were reading um their paper over breakfast and I was like, that's my movie, <laughs> you should see it. <laughs> yeah, it was like classic funny story of like an artist kind of struggling to get by
1: oh, there's a <laughs> film in that itself surely
0: yeah it's 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 pretty comical but I think that you know you you do what you have to do because finally I feel I am you know I'm really not complaining because I, I was so fortunate to finally get petrol funded yes. and yeah. um developed and things take time and you you, you want to give yourself time if it, even if it means you know that you're whatever scrambling around to support yourself um it meant a lot to me not to dive straight into a commercial project or have something in the in development right away and just to feel like things were right and organic
1: in terms of financial backing would you say that it was easier to get petrol off the ground than than strange colors was
0: again like there's such there were such different processes yeah. um we, I think we had a lot of luck for both projects but, you know, Strange Colours was a tremendous amount of luck because here, like even knowing about that program, applying, being the right place at the right time, all these things, they just sort of happened and it, it, it was quite surreal that we got to make the film and, uh you know, it was fantastic that the film was so well received that it helped us. uh, Also because I worked with the same team and with, Producer Kate Laurie, mm. um, who you know is is wonderful, and um, I'm very grateful for that relationship. And I think that that us kind of having that partnership really did allow petrol to be made, uh, and other other things as well played a role um you know the backing of arena media and yes, uh, yes. rob condley and liz yep. kearney the mm-hmm. executive producers of from arena media you know being such uh kind of important like important um uh, voices in in the <laughs> australian cinema and australian industry and and them supporting us in that way was yeah invaluable and yeah really helped and yeah Kate's work uh and yeah her intelligence and her understanding of the landscape and then also yeah i'm sure a bit of luck uh <laughs> you know and and goodwill from screen australia and and big screen you know they had a lot of um they showed a lot of support from early on and also because petrol is a melbourne film so i think they were keen to support um us shooting something in Melbourne and yes, yeah. there's always like,
1: got to be a tourism slant to it, doesn't there, with these big funding bodies?
0: Probably. And and but also, you know, crew, local crew, yes, and, yeah. uh jobs and things like that. Um so that I mean, yeah, again, it just it, it just sort of happened. And yeah. um I yeah, I I I mean as ridiculous as it is that you know you still you never really know how to get by between projects and uh, end up picking up whatever jobs you can get. But the fact that I have two features, I'm, you know, I've made two feature
1: films is is really incredible and I'm yeah. very grateful for it. You should be thrilled. Um, You mentioned Robert Connolly there and, and Liz Kearney. Um, uh, I consider Rob Connolly to be like the godfather of Australian cinema, cinema at the moment. Everybody wants to work with him and, and he's quite often thanked in credits for for people's films. Can you tell mm. us a bit about how Robert and, and Liz came on board? Because these two are making incredible cinema at the moment. Um so mm. I'm curious to know, you know, how they came on board and and was it purely from a distribution point of view or, or was there more to it?
0: Well they it's Petrol is an arena media film. So it was produced through their company. Uh and yeah Arena Media is uh Robin uh, Rob and Liz's company and they also are distributing the film through their um cinema plus yes um it really came about because of kate kate Mm. uh met robert on she worked after strange colors she worked on the set of acute misfortune and uh met robert through that and ended up yeah being doing placement at the company and becoming a producer there and Robert was very supportive of her and what she had on her slate, and so, um, you know, he saw strange colors and was very excited to to kind of meet uh, me as well through Kate. And yeah, we just asked us what you know what projects we had. There were a few kind of ideas floating around, but petrol was the one that I you know I I was really keen to work on. So they supported me through that, and finally, yeah, we got development money through. Screen Australia and and Vic Screen as well. Yeah, it just one thing led to another. But they were quite involved. I mean the, the the great thing, the thing that I really love about working with Robert is um he's very passionate and interested in and you know, really took on the film, but they're also quite hands off yeah. and kind of leave left left it to Kate and I to make decisions and creative decisions and you know, gave their feedback but never insisted on any changes. Like, you know, they always said it's up to you ultimately, it's your film and this is what I think. And sometimes, you know, I took the feedback on and other times I didn't. But I felt very supported and um free to do things uh, my way. And I think that's that's a huge... um. It's very special working oh,
1: with a production company. I love that. I love hearing those stories, and and you've described uh, you know your working experience exactly how I would have expected it to go. And uh, I interviewed uh, Robert for um for his new film back in January, and I asked uh, following the interview, I asked him about petrol, and and he had you know very high praise for you as a filmmaker and for the film.
0: Oh well, yeah, it's it's I return it. i I really. Admire and respect Rob for what yes. he does. I think not only is he, you know, a great filmmaker. He's also, uh, really an instrumental figure in 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 cinema. Yes. In Australia today, because he supports so many people, and I think, yeah, allows films by emerging filmmakers to be made,
1: and that's that's really. It's special it's huge yes, it is um uh, I know that collaboration is very important for you and uh, I know that uh you're working here again with the uh, cinematographer Michael Latham um, who also shot strange colors and uh, obviously producer Kate who you've spoken about but were there many other people uh, and um creatives who you brought back on board for petrol
0: yeah so Michael Kate uh Leah Popple is the production designer who, you know she's incredible, and she worked on Strange Colors, and she also worked on uh, a bunch of like The Stranger and Acute Misfortune and oh. um, Kitty Green's new film. She's she's done a bunch of Kitty Green's work, and uh, um, you know she's definitely going places. She's one of the most talented and committed production designers in Australia working today, and just a wonderful human being and. Uh, Livia Rusic, uh did the sound design. I've worked with her from my short films, uh, and got a chance again. I was very lucky to work with her on Petrol, and she's yeah, she's a, she's a huge talent. And uh, you know, she's been around. She was, I think, one of the first female sound recordists in Australia uh, before she became. She started doing design. So yeah, it's it's an honor really to work with her and Keith. Uh, I, actually, what should be said about um, Keith the um, mixer, and they they like a bit of a duo, so they're 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 great. The composers, Mikey Young and Raven Mahn, they composed the score for Strange Colors, and again for Petrol, it was fantastic. And uh, we you know tried different things. We had more resources, so we worked with a little orchestra to uh to record. Um yeah. You know, real instruments for petrol as opposed to uh, electronic instruments as we would have done in the past. So we had the money to do that, and that was um, just gorgeous. Gemma Burns, she's all yeah, she's a music supervisor. I worked with her on both films, and she's uh, kind of a key figure really in her field. I didn't even know what a music supervisor was before Strange <laughs> Colors, and I, yes. just, I just opened <laughs> up this. Huge world to me, and you know, that's uh, her input is really, um, really important. It, you know, it's quite instrumental to the film. And she, she just did Bo's Afraid, like, she's kind of gone, it's wow. And... That's a
1: huge step.
0: Oh, yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's <laughs> huge. And those are probably the key players. Oh, well, and Lucy McMahon, she's, um, She's someone I've worked with in all sorts of different capacities, from from my short films and like yeah, she did costumes, she did um, makeup, hair, all sorts of stuff, mm. and that's what she did on Strange Colors. And then on Petrol, she did locations and casting, extra casting of extras and um, some side some side characters. She helped out in casting mm. and actually had a huge um, impact in locations which is something she really enjoyed. And now she's working in our release. So I really, yeah, there's, you know, I love crew members like that who have kind of do different things. Yeah,
1: multiple roles.
0: And then, uh, yeah, I should last, but not the least, is yeah the editor Luca Capelli, who I've worked with, um, again, from my short films. And he's one of my favorite people in the world. And he's (laughs) um, back in Pisa in Italy, but he's still working on Australian films. Um, and kind of back and forth. So uh, that that was yeah, also one of my favorite aspects is working with him in the edit. Yeah. well, <laughs> uh, firstly, him. I
1: love hearing that all these people are working, but uh, secondly, you know, I love um how you're speaking about them and how much uh, you enjoy working with these people. again, it, it it's testament to the quality of their work, I suppose.
0: I yeah, i'm I feel very lucky to have these people in my life and um and and to be able to work with them lol yeah always try to get them back if if they're available <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're listening to the cinema australia podcast on soundcloud spotify apple podcasts or at cinemaaustralia.com.au um uh, so we've we've spoken a bit about the background of the film i, I want to get stuck in now to to petrol itself and and the story here um, uh, with Strange Colours, you shared a co-writing credit with Isaac Wall, but you've written Petrol solo. Um, Would you say that Petrol is more of a personal story for you than Strange Colours in terms of the film's narrative?
0: Yeah, it it, it is. I mean, yes, yeah, certainly writing the script on my own was, I probably put more of myself into it than in my previous work, but not, it's... It's a personal film, yeah. It's, I think that's important to note that despite it, the protagonist in the film having obvious resemblances to my own biography, uh, you know, (laughs) Eva is a film student, she's from a Russian family, and you know, there's various parallels with my own story. And I obviously borrowed from my own experience and my own, probably my own, certain observations of my own character, yeah. But it is not an autobiographical film. Like it's completely fictional. And that was kind of the fun of um yeah, using certain personal observations and you know, experiences and anxieties or kind of yeah, just various elements of my life, but not really in any obvious way, because yeah, it wasn't definitely didn't come the film Definitely didn't come from a desire to tell my story, uh, and I always say, like in interviews, I don't, you know, don't I don't have like a particularly interesting biography, like nothing extraordinary kind of happened that <laughs> could be related in a film. Um, it was more, you know, yeah, imbuing the film with various impressions of the world through my own lens, uh, and that it was just an interesting thing to try, and also probably came from like. A certain laziness and you know that thing of like write what well, you know it's also you know the easiest thing to do because you don't have to research a lot i still <laughs> did a lot of re- actually did a lot of research for the film but yeah, yeah. you know it not in um in pleasant ways i just read different things that i liked and you know um watched things for inspiration and whatnot mm.
1: well it's interesting to hear you say that actually because originally i was going to ask you Uh, how much of yourself is in Eva, but then I reworded that question to how much of yourself is in Eva and Mia, because Mm -hmm. even though they seem like very different people, they share a lot of similarities in that they're both searching for um, this relevance uh, in life. So, you know, you just spoke about Eva then and the similarities between, you know, the parallels between yourself and her, but what about Mia?
0: Um, you know what? I'm so glad you asked that because nobody's actually really asked me that. And every time I finish an interview, I always think, "Oh, wow, I should have said that." <laughs> both characters actually, I always forget to say this, but yes. it is, yeah. You're you're the first person to remind me to say this. It's so um great that that you brought it up because that's that's exactly the 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 nail on the head there because the both characters in a way are aspects of of a personality and um i think i relate to both of them mm. and have you know it's 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 a complicated relationship and there's a push and pull and obviously we're very much with eva and we see mia through her eyes because you know it is this is a film that um you know is about the inner world of 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 their protagonist it's like an inner world story yes. um uh, but mia is also I, I also wrote her as someone that I understand and relate to. so it's kind of like a, another small, strange version of myself. yeah, and I think I think that kind of delves into the themes of the film, which is, yeah, how we relate to other people and how we project ourselves onto relationships. But then we're not necessarily so different and or even when we're very different we can be alike well and yeah there's kind of issues of identity and um difference and the other and all these sort of psychoanalytical terms
1: yes very much so (laughs) um (laughs) yeah well I'm glad that I got to ask you that question and that you got to to share that little story there yeah it's great perfect um, so so you've gone from hyper-realism with Strange Colours to, to this mysterious, surrealistic dreamscape with Petrol. Uh, why such the leap? Was it wanting to explore different genres or, or was there another reason there?
0: To be honest, I think it was something that uh, is always, that's kind of me and that's probably where I was always um, meant to lean. You know, I, I think I kind of explored some of that territory with my short films. But I... With Strange Colours, you know, I had um, certain, you know, we talked b- before about the kind of restrictions on, on that project, but I think that it was also the story ha- was, I, I want to use the word dictated, but I feel like there's a different, like a more gentle word, but I'll just go with dictated for now because I'm having a brain freeze, but the story was somewhat dictated by the place. You know it was filmed on location in lightning ridge and the story was very much about that place and those characters there and i
1: it's got felt like location. i had to
0: i was sort of serving i mean it was about my impressions of the place as well and it you know it was through a personal lens Um but it i did have to stay truthful to the best of my ability to portraying that place and that I think that some of the style of the film and performances came from that, whether, yeah, with petrol, it was more more my own world and my own impressions. But also there are some surrealistic elements in Strange Colours oh, as well. Oh, yes,
1: very much so, very much.
0: You know, it's and it's a formalist film ultimately. Like even though um, I worked on, yeah, the kind of naturalistic performances, uh You know, I still blended, yeah, kind of thriller, genre elements, thriller elements and surreal uh, elements into that world. And with Petrol, I think I just got to take it a bit further. But I also still stuck with the naturalism of performance in Petrol. So there's parallels. I think there's parallels between the two films in structure as well, because it's, you know, about like an outsider figure, a young woman, kind of chasing an unavailable person and getting lost in a world um, and getting lost in a milieu, you know, uh, a certain kind of group of people. And the group of people are, in both films, you know, in Lightning Ridge it's a group of kind of untethered men in in an isolated town. And in Petrol it's a group of kind of un- untethered young people in yes. an urban environment. So, yes. I think that there's you know maybe in petrol the characters are not like fringe dwellers in any obvious ways yeah. but are they still kind of fringe in some way yes yeah. in, in a different way um uh, but that's how i see i yeah. see that world yeah
1: um i want to ask you more about the the characters in just a bit but um uh, you know, you're obviously a, a part of the local film community in Australia and, you know, with two feature films under your belt now, you're an even bigger part of the Australian film community. But how much, I'm wondering, how much do you immerse yourself in the local art scene and, and the local arts culture like the characters in this film? Are you one to to head out to art exhibitions and, and things like that?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I try to take an interest in everything, uh, again, you know, to the best of my ability, obviously, uh, there's limitations of you know time and money and things yes, like that yes, but um yes. you know I try to see and uh, and hear and observe as much as I as I'm able to and absorb and I'm also I guess somewhat involved in the literary community or yes. you know just by association like I a lot of my friends are writers and critics film critics and literary critics and um you know, I used to work in bookshops, so I try to follow like what what's going on in the literature world as well. I'm very curious about it. Um, I'm gonna have some short stories published in a literary journal wow. actually this uh, winter, so I'm very excited to be uh, part of part of that. So hon- honored to have been invited. The journal is called Heat. Heat, by, by the way. Yes. Um, and and art, yeah, and you know, I, I mean visual art is so it's so it's such a treat. It's so inspiring because for filmmakers yeah. I well, I find it very inspiring and I and mystifying and you know sometimes confusing and I that's what I kind of like about it.
1: Yeah, well um your answer there has made me a little bit nervous about asking this next question. <laughs> Um, but as I mentioned at the beginning, you give us permission to interpret aspects of this film however we want, and uh, I questioned whether I wanted to ask you this next question or not oh, because go on. because I didn't want to come across as being disrespectful if I misread this particular scene. But no, um, no, not at all. Uh, there's a scene during the film where Mia is performing her art piece. Mm. Uh, she's strung up in white cloth while observers watch on. And while I was watching that scene, I actually laughed out loud because it all seemed a little bit ridiculous. And and again, I don't mean any disrespect to artists who perform interactive art like this, and uh, and I don't mean any disrespect to you in this scene. But but was this particular scene done with a bit of tongue in cheek?
0: Yeah, well, I think that you know after that scene, Eva finds me at the bar, like after she's done her performance, and yeah. she's a bit upset and. Uh, Mia says, "I overheard these people say that the work was pretentious or narcissistic <laughs> or whatever." Yes. And I think that it's, I think it's playing, you know, it's playing with. Obviously, we all know that you know, and especially in Australia and in this mm. this moment in time, that there's something kind of ridiculous about performance art, <laughs> but it can also be amazing. Yes. yes. And I think that in this scene it kind of plays with the duality of, you know, it's the same thing that can be ridiculous, can also be amazing. Yes. And it's, you know, it's about sort of how you see it and how it's seen. And it's very, the, also that I, I try to shoot that scene, you know, through it kind of pans across the audience and yeah. some of, some people are bored, some people are on <laughs> the phones, um some people are walking out, but Eva is, and other people are watching and, but the most important thing is that Eva is totally taken, mm. and and however, I think I try to leave it really open. You know, yeah. it's like in done in this wide shot, and so you kind of are totally open to to decide whether you think she's ridiculous or not. Yeah, yeah. But to me, what's really important is that in the end, Mia is serious about this work, and yes, she yeah. made herself very vulnerable, and she's made herself vulnerable even to the people who are watching the film who might think that she's ridiculous, you yeah, know, like yeah, that's yeah. sort of, so it's great that you kind of pointed out because I think it, it's, it's, that's what that scene is about. It's about yeah. playing with, yeah, the, there is something ridiculous about all art. Yes. Like it's all kind of childish play and it risks falling in on its, on its, you know, falling between two stools or falling on its ass or whatever and not landing and not, Translating and the film risks this as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I risk this as a filmmaker, and you still take that risk. And you, you you know, you don't really, you don't have the guarantee of it being working. Yes. And you know, and in fact, you know that for some people it will not work. And you know, I my my film doesn't work for all people. Yeah. Yeah. And what does that mean? You know, and how do you kind of deal deal with that as an artist? Um. So I think, yeah, I, I think I tried to kind of bring that up in that scene.
1: Beautiful answer, Elena. And I'm glad that I did uh, ask it <laughs> because you've explained it so well there. And you are <laughs> right. Uh, you know, the, the scene doesn't go for that long, but there's so much happening in terms of um the reactions on people's faces and how they're responding to this art. That there, There's a lot to be said about the entire film within that small moment. Mm,
0: and I think that, you know, the character of Mia is, you know, quite divisive because some people think, Oh, I love her. I can, Mm -hmm. you know, I think she's so brilliant and other people and talented and interesting and other people like, no, she's ridiculous and pretentious (laughs) and mean and whatnot. And, and I, I I really love that because that's to me that totally captures like the, uh, the kind of duality of that character and, and an artist and being an enchantment and, yeah, kind of how those kinds of relationships can be. They're ridiculous and exciting at the same time. And the the I think for me what's really important about the character of Mia and in the end, Eva, is that they they keep going. So yeah. whatever one might make of their work, um, you know, Mia to till the end is working, and that's what she's really committed to.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think Eva learns that from her. Um, and you know, in the end, Eva is working as well.
1: Absolutely beautiful. Um, I, I feel like watch. I say this all the time during these interviews uh, when I'm hearing filmmaker stories, but uh, it makes me want to watch the film again now. Um, I want to go back to to Eva and Mia. You've cast two incredible actors here in in Nathalie who who. She's arguably one of the best actors working in Australia right now, um, especially with her work on Bump. Um, she's just terrific. And uh, and Hannah Lynch, who is a relative newcomer to acting, um, I think she has three uh, credits to her name at the moment, which is exciting. Uh, what was it about these two that impressed you during the casting process?
0: Well, I mean, I I loved working with those actresses. They, I agree. I think they're both so, yeah, at the top of their game. Yeah. Um yeah, Hannah is a New Zealander and um yeah to me she's yeah she's amazing and um Natalie's yeah definitely agree that she's um one of the best actresses working actors working in in Australia today. But Natalie came in through uh just the traditional casting process. She sent in a tape. She actually auditioned for Mia first which I you know I love that the kind of um how that plays into the themes of the film and acting and performing which is also kind of a, a part of i guess a theme in the in the film and i just fell in love with her and i you know i when i saw her i thought ah oh, you know maybe she is actually really good for eva and we asked her to audition for eva but it turned out that that's the character that she naturally gravitated to yeah. Towards anyway, and kind of and she had in fact already taped for Eva. So they were like, Yes, here's the tape for Eva from her. So she she prepared both characters. <laughs> and then we were casting for Mia for quite a while after that. Uh, after we locked Natalie in uh and couldn't quite find anyone. Um quite right, and I was getting stressed. And I talked to Natalie about it, and she really from the start, had wanted to put forward her friend Hannah that they went to university. They went to drama school together in Wellington. So Natalie went to drama school in Wellington, even though she's from Canberra, because it's there's a yeah that the really um, famous drama school there, and um, and so Hannah sent in a tape, and yeah, immediately I was like, oh yes, this is this is great, uh, and I loved that they had the pre existing friendship. had already you know had that foundation that they brought into the film in a really interesting way and played with that in a really interesting way on set so it just made it really fun and interesting and cool um you know it was a big challenge for Kate and for the production to bring Hannah out from New Zealand we really had to fight for that during COVID because we got in trouble with you know we actually ended up getting in trouble with lockdowns and she almost got stuck in Australia and then she almost got stuck in New Zealand because we had to get her back for pickups. It was just tremendous luck that like it all worked out just in the dates that like we had, like it was kind of crazy. So I think it was meant to be, but yeah, I think so. They Yeah, they both have a background in theatre through drama school and yeah, that great energy between them and, And they understood the the relationship in the script. They both felt like they understood and had, even between them, had some of that dynamic. So they just contributed so much to the characters. Like they really made the characters their own. And, yeah, it was a pleasure to work with them. Yeah, you've
1: said in uh, your director's statement that they very much shaped their respective characters. How so? Can you tell us a bit more about that?
0: I mean that's it's sort of hard to describe because it's such a personal and kind of intimate process.
1: Um, so it wasn't know, a, like dialogue did. or or anything like that it was it was more just how they uh, performed yeah, their Yeah,
0: no no yeah I guess we did stick to script pretty closely. Yeah. Like we did a bit of improvisation here and there but um we we stuck to script but it was just in, in interpretation like the, what the actor does you know with the little things and yeah. their presence and how they read the character it's just kind of amazing yeah amazing amount of work that is yeah almost impossible to describe
1: yeah how fortunate for you that uh, over two films you've <laughs> you've managed to work with you know these incredible actors who give these such deep realistic performances i mean you can't ask for much more than that
0: it's really a dream and it's yeah i always say you know when people like i had to speak to students uh at university um last night and somebody asked um, you know, how do you work with actors? And I, I always say just like the hardest thing about working with actors is casting. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, if yeah. you cast right, I feel like it's like 90% done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously there's, you know, you, 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 there's so much to learn in the craft of directing and working with actors and kind of fine-tuning uh, performances on the day. But ultimately I think that, you know, if you, you, you've got to cast right, and um, I really believe in that. That yeah, the, the kind of if if you've got someone and you that that you kind of can work with, and that trust is there. It's yeah, ninety percent done. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just so much. Um, that that is really one of the hardest things is casting. I think, and where your instinct as a director is really put put to test.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I've got a few more questions here mm-hmm. uh, for you. Um, uh, I, I want you to take us uh, behind the scenes of a particular scene, and uh, that's the scene where Mia is floating in the room at the party. Um, it only lasts for a few seconds, but was it a very physical sh- uh, scene to shoot? Um, and actually, now that I'm asking this question, it, it could have been CGI for all I know.
0: Yeah, it it, it really was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> oh goodness! Yeah, we didn't have like we didn't have the resources to have. Um a harness like you would laugh it's just the most basic like masking trick that yes. you know any, anyone can do in their bedroom uh in after
1: effects yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, i guess there yeah. was a big part of me that was hoping that there was uh kind of some big rig set up and uh no, like, seriously <laughs> it
0: was i think she she stood on like a skating ramp she walked up a skating ramp and then twirled and um in slow motion and we shot in slow motion just worked. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah I think don't look too closely in that scene because <laughs> wow, okay. we noticed some <laughs> uh, <laughs> but y- y- you know I guess um the whole film like all well, there's a bit of like sort of cinema magic trickery but it's all done in, in very, very very simple kind of film school <laughs> tricks. Yes. <laughs> Old yeah. like even in camera kind of tricks. But it was the actually it was still the most physical scene to shoot because um, they dance, they 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 dance before the levitation and yeah. they that was something they improvised actually the the dancing the two um, actresses worked on that together on wow. the day. That wow, did did they tell you about that? I think I just asked them. I said, "Oh, you know, can you do something like this?" and um, gave them like a few sort of requests and then they went off and um came up with this routine i was like yep i love it uh and we shot it and it worked oh yeah
1: you can certainly feel a connection between the two during that scene Mm -hmm. um uh so there you go folks uh, out there who are listening uh, cgi is king and and you can learn it in adobe after effects
0: (laughs) yeah really 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 basic cgi
1: um, talk to us a bit about shooting in a big city, um, in this film's case, Melbourne, uh, compared to an outback town like Lightning Ridge uh, for Strange Colors. Is is there is there much more involved?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean that was probably the biggest challenge of petrol, really, and also additional challenges of shooting during in twenty twenty one when Melbourne went into lockdown um, in in the end of July there, which was like fell. Um, in the middle of our shoot, which added, like, all sorts of logistical trouble. Uh, but or even without that already, yeah, it was it's something that I d- didn't understand, I think, when I wrote the script, just how challenging and expensive it was going to be to get the crew around the city. Mm. Um, You know, sometimes in peak traffic, like changing locations, uh Parking permits, how expensive that was going to be. <laughs> um, Setting up for lunch in, you know, in, in local parks or churches or whatever that every time it was a cost. And and also the kind of, yeah, those practical challenges of, you know, you've got a 10-hour day, you're on location, but your lunch is elsewhere. <laughs> so if crew is, you know, walking, even if it's a five-minute walk, to get crew to lunch and back, you you know you're losing time every time, and then they got to park and walk and get the gear out, and you know it's just all these things like it really adds up. It adds up in resources and time, and I think that that is probably why you know <laughs> one of the reasons why it's so people don't shoot in cities that much. <laughs> yeah. It's also very noisy. Yeah. So you know, yeah, you, you kind of realize in on in the outback and stra- you know in strange colours, Lightning Ridge, like it, it was so easy because you, you just turn up anywhere, park anywhere, break for lunch anywhere. You didn't need permits half the time. Um, there was no noise. Like the you know the only problems would be like if somebody's Jenny went up somewhere, but you know pretty much no noise. Never stopping for planes. Whether, yeah, in Melbourne, it's like just we, we were very lucky to work with Steve Bond, who's an exceptional sound recordist, mm. like a real wizard, but just incredible. And he saved the film mm. on a number of occasions. Mm. But it was such a challenge for him because, you know, I directed everyone to speak quite softly mm. um, so they, you know, so they could kind of get their naturalistic performances Right, but it created all sorts of issues for the sound guy. <laughs> and and then just, yeah, stopping for noise, so much noise everywhere, construction. Yeah. And, you know, it, it ended up, even from the start, we always talked about how that those kinds of sounds are going to be used, but in the film, to create tension and anxiety and that kind of sense of terror, I guess, and dread. Uh, but it also just... Was inevitable because there was just traffic, construction, helicopters, all these quite oppressive sounds. Yeah, so I could go on and on about the challenges of shooting in the city. But definitely, <laughs> if I like, I, I don't know if I could do that kind of film again because on this budget, because um, what you know, it definitely request more time because yeah, yeah. it it caused a lot of. Uh, stress mm-hmm. and it was unpleasant and yeah I, I think that I was very ambitious with a number of locations yeah. because I really intended the film to be like you know a bit of a journey through Melbourne and like a survey of all these different places and um kind of getting in a city and or around the city and you know I wanted to shoot these places and it proved to be very challenging
1: yeah um, I curated an independent filmmaker panel recently and I did ask them the question about shooting in a city and um, and how they get around permits. And I think there was five on the panel and all of them said, just do it, don't get permits, just shoot it. <laughs> but, of course, that's relating to independent filmmakers, you know, um, who are doing this all off their own back. But, yeah, it's very interesting to hear your answer there.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it was so tempting to try that kind of stuff. And <laughs> yeah, get, away right. get away with it? You can't get away with that on a yeah. film set because no, that's right. Yeah, like the, the coppers really do come up and say, "What are you guys doing?" Yeah, yeah. And blah, blah, yeah. Blah. yeah,
1: Yeah. Um. Uh. Final question here. Um. Uh, I ask every uh, guest of the Cinema Australia podcast this question at the very end. But um, have you seen any Australian films recently that have really stood out for you and and have caught your eye?
0: Yeah, um I an interesting film um that I watched recently that I hadn't heard of before and I think was shown I was it 70, 70 something. It was shown at the Sydney Film Festival. I don't think it was particularly well received, but I thought it was such an interesting film uh by Jim Sharman called The Night the Prowler. Uh, with um, yeah, a bunch of kind of recognisable Australian actors and a script by Patrick White. Right. And I think that's really an interesting Australian film that, um, you know, to
1: be reappraised. Yes. Now this is uh, 1978. That uh, film came out. Yes. that's so sounds you, right. you watched a restored version of it? It wasn't
0: restored. Oh. I think it should be restored. Yeah. But, it. you know, I watched just some version that my friend found on the internet. <laughs> I hope it's okay, Jim Sharman doesn't mind. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's great that if people can watch the film. And I also recently watched The Well for the first time by Samantha Lang. Yeah. Um, and I, I really loved it. I think that's a beautiful 90s Australian film. And um, she we were lucky enough to have her moderate our Q&A. And, again, I think that's a film that, you know, deserves... Revisit also last year. I for the first time at MIF, I got a chance to see um, in this life's body by um, the uh, Corinne Cantrell, uh, who is an experimental, she's part of the uh, normally makes films, her partner, Mm. and they're experimental, they're you know, iconic experimental, uh, Melbourne filmmakers, um, and they published um a, a very important journal but Cantrell's notes uh for for decades um but this is her only like this is her solo feature film and it's an essay it's like an essay film made with photographs and it was just that film i still think about it a lot it's it's a really remarkable work um and i think that is the only their films are really hard to see because they're not they have, you, you really have to see them on print when they're shown um so yeah it's quite difficult but that film is the only one that's been digitized so hopefully it'll become more widely available
1: well you've just uh, you've just said three films there that uh, even I haven't seen yet so thank you very much for that it's great recommendations and uh, I hope our listeners go and uh, seek those films out as well
0: beautiful yeah I'm- very pleased to share about those films.
1: Um I, I just had a had a thought actually. I've got one final, final question here for you. Uh, have you seen Catch Me If You Can? And and if so, what did you think of that? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, of course I've seen it. Um <laughs> I haven't seen it in a little while, actually. But you know, I I think I mean
0: it's it's a great it's a fun, great bit of fun. Yeah. I think that in the film there's a bit of a joke about in petrol there's a joke about that film that yeah. I won't give away, but it's very tongue in cheek, and uh, I, you know, I have like it's not Catch Me If You Can is not like my favorite film of all times. Of course, <laughs> uh, you know I'm not a huge Spielberg fan, but I really appreciate his films, in, in you know in 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 some ways, and I think that um, I just thought it was very funny to to have a young woman, a student, film student who you know is a bit of a snob and is trying to define her taste and you know is 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 sort of makes fun of that film <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, and you know also because it's like not probably not like the most you know the film that people will remember spielberg for no. so i thought it's kind of like fun funny to um you know throw in this film that it probably is not on anyone's mind yeah. all the time yes um it's, it's just kind of this uh part of our kind of pop culture yeah um is. yeah anyway
1: um alina i can't thank you enough for uh, sharing your stories for the cinema australia podcast it's been great chatting with you and uh, uh thanks for joining us
0: thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure uh yeah i it's it's always really great to be given an opportunity to dive a bit deeper into the work. Thanks for listening.
1: Find all the latest Australian film news at cinemaaustralia.com.au. You can follow Cinema Australia on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and TikTok.